We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we work and live, the Awabakal and Waramai people, and pay our respects to Elders past and present. We celebrate the stories, culture and traditions of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Elders of all communities who also work and live on this land. You're listening to Boob to Food, the podcast with Luca McCabe and Kate Holm. There is so much noise in the parenting space. And we don't mean the tantruming toddler. We understand it can feel confusing, conflicting and overwhelming. That's why we are bringing our years of experience as a midwife, nutritionist and naturopath. And of course, mums. So that you can confidently navigate the roller coaster of motherhood from boob to food and beyond. Each week you'll hear practical wisdom, expert advice and inspirational stories of other mums in the depths of this parenting journey. Let's, Let's dive, dive in. in. This episode has been brought to you by Mare Botanicals. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Boob to Food, the podcast. Hey, Luca, how was your weekend away? It was so good. I've been hanging out to here. Oh, (laughs) yeah, it was nice. It wasn't that exciting. We had a night away, which was great. Mm. So, yeah, we went to a place called Forever Sunday, which is beautiful if anyone lives near Newcastle, Hunter Valley area. And, yeah, we went out for lunch into the vineyards and... Stayed up way too late, <laughs> drank too much wine. I'm still paying for it. Oh, really? <laughs> we're recording on Thursday and you were away on I know. Saturday. I'm such a lightweight. I'm like, honestly, if I have more than two glasses, I just really pay for it. Mm. And I probably had like eight. <laughs> anyway. Oh, dear. And I generally try and drink like preservative-free wine, but because we're at vineyards, mm. like I didn't have that option. And so just mm. had, you know, a nice sulfite headache in the morning. Oh. But anyway, yes, it's Thursday and yes, I, <laughs> yeah. Hopefully by Monday when this comes actually comes out, I've recovered, but it takes me ages. <laughs> but yeah, it was nice to have a night free, kid-free. Yeah. Although I feel like my week's been hard in a lot of ways mm. because I don't know if it's, you know, I didn't see the kids really much on the weekend and then, um, Obviously, as everyone knows, if you're listening, that I'm working full time. And anyway, my daughter's been really making me pay for it. Mm. So she's been, yes, exhibiting many big emotions this week. So it's been fine, but yeah, hard, Mm. hard for her. I can just see there's lots going on and, you Mm. know, she's reacting and doing things she doesn't normally do, like Mm. lots of really big tantrums and not eating dinner, not Mm. wanting to leave my side when I'm at home, being like really like unnecessarily needy, I guess. Like Mm. even this morning I couldn't have a shower without her sitting on the outside of the floor watching me Mm. because I couldn't leave her side. So anyway, we had a special like date morning yesterday just to try and fill her love tank up a little bit. Because, yeah, she's definitely been feeling it. But some weeks the push-pull of motherhood's hard. Mm, absolutely, mm. yeah. But we've got a weekend at home this weekend, like, with the kids. And so yeah. hopefully that'll be nice and it's meant to be 32 degrees. I know. So I know. I'm so excited. Yeah. So unless I'm at your labour, I'll be at oh, home with the kids. I might disrupt <laughs> no. your weekend. No. <laughs> she'll, she'll, she'll be there with me. <laughs> okay. okay Another little midwife for me. <laughs> You'd actually love that, I reckon. <laughs> How are you feeling? Yeah, I'm all right. I'm um, I'm like, I'm feeling good in some ways. I feel like, yeah, it's been a not 
the easiest week either, but like the mm. pregnancy is great. Like baby's still happily baking in there mm. and I'm not over it. Like I, yeah, in fact, like, because I'm sure this will be the last baby, I'm kind of like, oh, I'm going to miss having a bump and feeling, mm. feeling them there. Like it's so, it's so special, but also I'm like obviously very excited to, <laughs> to mm. meet the baby and, um, it's just, yeah, that that strange waiting game and, yeah, we've had a few, like, work things that I'm like, okay, don't come yet, don't come yet. And even, like, I've um, booked a float tank for Monday. I'm like, well, hopefully I get to do that appointment and, mm. yeah, but I'm also so excited to to meet them and, and have them here. So stay tuned. Who knows by Monday, hopefully you'll have no hangover and I might have a baby. <laughs> Good combo. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. But yeah, I've also just been trying to um, fill the kids' tanks. I, don't worry, mm. I'm not getting to shower on my own either. Most mm. days they both want to be in there with me and I end up like cold because I'm too big to fit under the, you know, like the shower at the same time as them and mm. I'm like pressed up against the cold tiles but I've also realized that if we <laughs> need to get out of the house it's easier to just say yes that they can come in the shower with me because then they the next step is they have to get dressed in their clothes because otherwise <laughs> that's <laughs> often a bit of a battle um and yeah I probably did a few too many like active things this week we caught the bus into the city because there was this park they wanted to take me to to show me and it was fine but I didn't know like they wanted to go on the bus not drive so that's okay but I'm not like super savvy at (laughs) getting off the bus so we got off one stop too late and I had to walk and Mm. I was yeah I'm feeling like I feel sore and I feel like not my whole body's heavy but it's like that pelvic heaviness Mm. which actually (laughs) Good segue. Yeah, it's a good segue in today's episode. <laughs> yeah, actually, I so today we're speaking with Erin, who is the owner of Female Focused Physiotherapy here in Newcastle. And Erin is so amazing. Like, it's a really great episode, but I also see her personally. So mm. I had an appointment with her last week, which... Um, it was really exciting, <laughs> things you get excited about these days. The in the episode, <laughs> well, in the episode, I share a little bit about how post Bowie I had um, a bladder prolapse. Mm. And I, through this pregnancy, because I know that, you know, so much of the damage to the pelvic floor is actually happening while you're pregnant. And I've also just come out of having this awful cough, for, which I think I've shared about as well. Like I was coughing and weeing at the same time, which is just delightful. Mm. Um, and so when I had an appointment with her, I fully expected that she'd be like, oh, this is not good. We're going to have to do heaps of rehab postpartum. But she said that um, everything was good. Like my oh, pelvic good. floor was in a really good place yeah. and um, the prolapse had seemingly resolved. So I was like, hooray, <laughs> celebrate my my pelvic floor being healthy at this stage. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Erin is just such a wealth of knowledge. Um, she's a pelvic physio- physiotherapist and specializes in like women's health and does a lot of pre and postnatal support. And she also, I should add that um, when I popped into her clinic, which is beautiful, I saw that she is going on a trek to raise money for MS. So um, I just wanted to share that as well. And we'll link in the show notes where you can donate because 
yeah, it's quite a, a big trek in the Southern Alps, which sounds divine. Mm. I think she's trekking for five days. So, wow. Yeah. Good on If her. you want to check it out. I'll, Need a good um, pelvic floor for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you do. <laughs> um, but yeah, she's really amazing and it's a great episode. So no matter where you're at, if you've had kids already, if mm. you haven't had kids yet or you're pregnant or you do or don't know of, um, you know, pelvic floor or we speak about abdominal separation and getting back to exercise. Um, it's a, yeah, it's a really good listen for everyone. So we'll hand over to Erin. Hello, Erin. Welcome to Boob to Food, the podcast. You are our first in-person guest, which is really exciting. We've <laughs> expanded our microphones and now we've got <laughs> three, which is nice to do when not on Zoom. But welcome to our little podcast studio. Thank Thank you so much for having me. It's exciting to be here in person. Yeah, it's nice. Can you let our listeners know if they're not familiar with your work, who you are and what you do? Yeah, I'm a pelvic physiotherapist. I have a practice here in Newcastle. Um, And I guess a lot of people don't really know what a pelvic physio is, but we specialize in pelvic floor primarily. But um, we see a lot of pre and postnatal women with pelvic floor disorders like incontinence, prolapse, abdominal separation, um, and manage those sort of conditions. All the joys when you have a baby. (laughs) (laughs) And these are a lot of questions that we, yeah, get asked a lot about. And I think it's just even like as my perspective of being a midwife, it's just not really something that's routinely recommended to go see a physio, Mm -hmm. but we think that it should be, but it seems to only be like, if there's a significant problem, that's when you refer. Absolutely. Yes. Do you disagree and think everyone should go and see a physio? (laughs) Well, yes, obviously that's my biased opinion, but there is a big push. And in the UK now they're funding um, routine physiotherapy visits post-birth. And in the public system, you're right, they only refer to a physiotherapist if you've had a severe perineal tear, like a third or fourth degree tear. Um, But we see women and I guess one of the biggest things is prolapse. And we know that 50% of women after they've had a vaginal delivery have prolapse, but only maybe 10 to 15% of them have symptoms. Mm -hmm. So if you're waiting until something is really obvious, or if you're, you know, really struggling with symptoms, there could have been a lot of things put in place before that. So I would love for all women to see a physio during pregnancy because there's lots of preventative things we can do. And then for sure, just even having a quick check up at six weeks postpartum, um, because what we look for is quite different to what the GP or the OB will assess for at their checkup as well. Yeah, mm. I actually shared this in another episode after I had Jude, I did that, you know, six week check, but at the GP. And it was essentially, you know, lovely doctor, but he was just like, so, I mean, how are you feeling? Like, are you okay? I was like, I think so. <laughs> but there was no actual physical assessment. He didn't, he didn't put his hands on anywhere on my body or, or do any sort of assessment. And um, who knows? Like, I, I mean, I didn't have any overt symptoms then, but um, after Bowie, I engaged your lovely services <laughs> yeah. and, um, and I did have a prolapse and it was just a completely different um, experience that you know, you actually are looking at like what my body is doing and how it's coping. And, um, and then that gives you the ability to change things moving forward rather than just being like, oh, okay, I don't know. I saw the doctor, they said this is normal. And then off you go. And I think so many women joke about like a lot of the things that happen during pregnancy. It's like, oh, I sneezed and I peed a little bit or like even after it's like, oh yeah, like I I peed myself a bit and we kind of just normalize it. But like, 
are these things normal? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you're right. I think it's part of the Australian culture to mm. make a joke out mm. of these things often. But when those symptoms come up, it's often not funny for women. It's really yeah. embarrassing and it's really impacting on their um, sense of self-esteem and mm. their sexual health and all those sort of things. Mm. And having that checkup early on, we can work on really preventative things, like I said, rather than waiting until years down the track until things become really obvious. Mm. And not to undervalue the GP assessment, but they're really doing a mental health screen. They're mm. making sure there's no medical complications. They're not looking for abdominal diastasis and prolapse. And there's things we can see at six weeks with specific physical measurements, which tell us whether you're likely to develop incontinence. So if you're symptom-free at the moment, but you're super keen to get back to netball or running or that sort mm. of thing, we can say, oh no, these are the things you need to work on before you get to that point. Mm. That's what I found hard too when the GP says, how are you going? Are you weeing yourself? That's kind of all they ask. Mm. Oh, yep, you can go have sex now. Mm. It's like, well, I haven't even really gone for a walk at six weeks. I don't Mm. know. I don't know how my pelvic floor is going to cope with doing a star jump at six weeks postpartum. Like, I guess I'm okay now, but then there's no, you know, if it's not okay in this amount of time, see anyone or, yeah, Mm. anything preventative like you mentioned. It's just sort of you're on your own after that checkup. And it's so interesting. We have amazing research now and we take measurements of the pelvic floor support and, you know, the difference in half a centimetre of where that pelvic floor muscle sling is sitting can really be the difference between whether you are going to develop incontinence or prolapse or not. And that is just natural tissue recovery. We know the pelvic floor muscle has to drop and lengthen to accommodate birthing a baby. And some women might have that height of the pelvic floor and the tone of the pelvic floor back at six weeks, but a lot of of women don't. So Mm -hmm. we can take measurements of that and your strength and all those sort of things to see if you can, you know, jump back into things that you want to do or whether you need a bit more time and rehabilitating your body like we would with any other sports injury. Like it Mm -hmm. blows my mind every time I think about what we do for footy players with a hamstring strain, yet women's abdominal muscles, which have been stretched to their absolute capacity, Mm -hmm. are expected just to, you know, bounce back and heal. Mm. Yeah, that's so true. So is wetting yourself normal? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so it's so common and that's kind of the mantra of pelvic physio, common but not normal. Um, And so one in three women, even if they haven't had a baby, and we talk a lot about athletic incontinence as well, we see young women, athletes, um, all sorts of people who have leakage and it's so treatable. Like there are so many things that we can do to facilitate staying dry and it seems simple like if you imagine an inflated balloon and you have your finger over the end of it to stop the air escaping that's basically all we need to stay dry is to keep the pelvic floor tight enough that it can close around the urethra but there's hormonal factors fascial factors genetic factors that can make that a little bit harder for some women compared to others um so i would say that incontinence in the early postpartum it's not a medical concern. It's not going to make you unwell. It's not going to shorten your life expectancy. And there are so many other things going on in that period that if you just can't even fathom going and doing something about it, it's not the worst thing in the world to just do nothing until you've got the time and the energy and the capacity to address it. But yeah, leakage, it does affect women's self-esteem, their ability to participate in exercise, which is so important for our you know bone health, cardiovascular health. It's really um, impacts social situations Mm. as well. You know, if you can't laugh with your girlfriends at dinner because you're worried about wetting your pants, it's something that you can address and you really should address. Mm. 
Yeah, I need to come see you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty good, but I do F45 every day. And Mm -hmm. there's, you know, every now and then you'll do something like a double under skip or a star jump and you're like, Mm -hmm. well, I'm glad I've got black pants on today. It's so funny you say that. One of the biggest things I see women coming to the clinic is like, I can do everything apart from a double under. Um, Something about double under, I can do a normal skip, yes. but every time you try and do a double under, it's like, no, nah, it's yeah. coming out. Why? Do you know why? Yeah. And so that's something that I think we do Not that really. Everyone's probably doing double unders, but um, I think that's something we do really well from a physio perspective is understanding um, the mechanics of exercise in your body. It's not just about how hard your pelvic floor muscle can contract Mm -hmm. it's your technique with your jumping are you holding your breath have you got really poor shock absorption do you need to work on your calf strength so a lot of the time we can tweak technique and allow you to stay dry rather than addressing your pelvic floor strength but there's just more pressure coming down on your bladder so you need a harder squeeze from your pelvic floor so Mm -hmm. athletic women like yourself um we would think about using like weights to (laughs) Um, take that compliment (laughs) you know we can use vaginal weights to uptrain the pelvic floor, you know, to get that little bit extra. Yeah. That Strength you know, training for your yeah, vagina. exactly. <laughs> you know, if you're doing Pilates and going for a walk, you might not need to do that. But yeah. if you're a powerlifter or a crossfitter or an F45, you might need that little bit of an extra boost. Mm. Even just from normal mum life, like I, I feel like I could cry thinking about it because I definitely, after Bowie, um, when, you know, I, we identified that I had a prolapse and I think from memory, like mine was fairly mild. It wasn't like a lot of incontinence but there was kind of this ongoing leakage and from a self-esteem perspective Mm. like I it really impacted me like I was having to wear period undies for the whole time really up until my cycle returned when the you know that tissue integrity changed because there was just like I wasn't wetting myself but there was just like some leakage and it's like you feel gross, you feel ashamed, you feel like everybody around you can notice, you don't feel like being intimate, like it's yeah. it's really um it's really awful. And <laughs> that's quite what I mean like, about it affecting all aspects of your yeah. health. So it might not seem like a big deal to a medical professional mm-hmm. who's worried about your, you know, mm-hmm. your health and your life expectancy and that sort of thing, but if it is affecting your intimate relationships yeah. And we see women getting in that cycle where they don't want to exercise because mm-hmm. they're worried about leakage and then they become deconditioned and the leakage actually gets worse. Yeah. Because like I mentioned, your glutes and your calves, those muscles support your body, support your shock absorption and help with leakage. Mm. And so you get in that cycle. Mm. Um, but we do see a lot of women like yourself that find a big difference at that 12-month mark or mm. when their cycle returns, when they finish breastfeeding. And there's things we can do to support your body during that recovery period. Mm. Um, a pessary is something we use a lot of which Mm. kind of facilitates bladder support internally so if we're waiting for that tissue recovery from birth and it is slow like it could take six to 12 months Mm. there's other things you can do and use to you know um exercise play sport do what you need to do without worrying about leakage yeah yeah it's such a big thing I think definitely needs to be more conversation around it and more awareness Mm. yeah not just the ad remember the ad on tv that's like do you have leakage by mm. these, pa- you know, yeah. it's yeah. just kind of normalizing leakage, but not mm. normal, not saying that it's not normal. Mm. Yeah. I think things like that have made us just think that you have a baby and then you wet yourself. But For no, sure. Yeah. And I think a lot of women don't realize that it can be addressed, but mm. we know from all the studies that have been done that what we do as pelvic floor physios is really effective. Like mm. there's lots of strategies, not just pelvic floor strengthening, but other things that we can look at, which cure or like drastically improve leakage so yeah definitely 
chat to a yeah. pelvic physio and work out what's going on and see what you can do to address it. Mm. So just practically speaking, if someone's not at the stage where they can see a physio yet, maybe early baby, mm-hmm. um, would you recommend doing anything at home like Kegels or? Yeah, you know, actually like it's interesting. In the first six to 12 weeks, the most important thing is natural tissue recovery. So if you have a three-month-old baby and you're listening to this and beating yourself up because you're like, oh, I haven't had time to do my pelvic floor exercises, it's actually not the most important thing. Resting, staying hydrated, nourishing your body, making sure you've got enough um, sort of nutritional um, requirements to actually heal mm-hmm. is way more important than doing Kegels. So um We've actually got really new research that shows that women that do pelvic floor exercises in the first six weeks don't actually recover better than women that don't. Oh, wow. It's much more about rest and recovery. And I'm sure as a midwife, you would see that as well. Like we want to be taking things really slow and steady, making sure that you're getting enough rest, that you're drinking heaps of water and taking your supplements, all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that period where the muscle has had time to actually heal, that's when you want to start rehabbing. So I kind of break it up into like rest and recovery period and then your rehab period. Yep. So yeah, after that initial period is definitely a good time to start doing Kegels <laughs> um, or pelvic floor muscle exercises. We just want to make sure that you're doing them correctly. Mm. Yeah. yeah. That my favorite recommendation from you was you're like, you need to lie down, <laughs> be horizontal, like take the weight off everything, oh, which was to know. something that I wasn't doing very well. Yeah. <laughs> so as soon as you sit or stand up, mm. you've got 60% of your body weight on those tissues mm. that have literally just stretched to their capacity. Mm. So we want women laying down as much as possible in the first six weeks, mm. get horizontal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, good advice that's, across the yeah, board. It's easier to remember to lie down rather than do your, your pelvic yeah, floor really. exercises. So I'm sure yeah. everyone's really enjoying that. Sorry, babe, advice. can't do the dishes. I have to lie down. Erin said, Absolutely. if you want yep. me to not wet myself forever, I'll lie down. Um, and one thing we wanted to talk to you as well about was like perineal tears because obviously many women will endure a perineal tear yeah. of some degree. Um And I guess just talking about what we should be expecting in terms of healing there, because again, like we go to the GP at that six week check and, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes they look at it, sometimes they don't. Um, And so just to know, is there any red flags that you might look out for with a tear in the healing in those first sort of few months? Yeah, for sure. And even women who haven't had a perineal tear, but they've had a vaginal delivery will likely have some perineal pain in the first sort of 14 days after birth. And that's completely normal tissue healing. Like if you've had an injury anywhere in your body, there's going to be some discomfort. Um, But icing is really helpful in those early days. I love like the double undies with an ice pack in between works really well and staying horizontal again. So you don't have gravity kind of pooling, swelling in that area. So trying to get flat, put some ice on and hygiene, like changing your pads regularly and that sort of thing to try and make sure that the area is clean and dry and limiting infection. And Mm -hmm. that's where your six week check with your GP is really important because they're the ones that will really identify any signs of infection or poor tissue healing. But we know a lot of women's pain does persist past that point. Um, It's episiotomies tend to be 
much more um, linked with persistent perineal pain than a natural sort of perineal tear. Um, And so there's lots of theories why that may be. Um, But pain in that area that goes on sort of after the first two weeks, it's generally a combination between scar tissue tenderness. And so after that initial healing period, you can start touching the scar, trying to desensitize the scar like really gently with anything unfragranced like a coconut oil or something like that. Just get your body used to sensations in that area and then you can progress to doing massage um, like we do prenatally. And in saying that, um, prevention again is such an important thing. We know women that do perineal massage during pregnancy have less perineal pain afterwards Mm -hmm. and better healing. So that's the nice thing about having all those um, education and preventative things in place beforehand. Mm, yeah. But the other thing that's really important is tissue health and the hormonal changes. So we see women, particularly who are breastfeeding, they have lower estrogen and they have um, sometimes dehydrated vulval and vaginal tissue and vulval um, atrophy, and that mm. can really affect the tissue health and tenderness as well. Mm. And so it's much more commonly used now, like a topical estrogen cream can be really helpful. You have to have that prescribed. Um, But we also recommend a lot of the time a vaginal moisturizer, which Mm -hmm. I don't think women really know exists. But, you know, if your skin's Mm. dry and dehydrated anywhere Mm. else, you use a moisturizer. So why not do the same for your vulval tissue? Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, um, I've seen in elevating in the early period, compressive wear can be really helpful, like your postnatal compression tights. Mm -hmm. And then later on starting some scar massage, desensitization, looking after the vaginal tissue health. And that would be a really good starting point. Do you do any like ultrasound therapy on perineal scars? Um, Not routinely. Um, There is sort of mixed evidence on ultrasound therapy for scar tissue. So it is something that we would occasionally use therapeutic ultrasound if someone's got a persistent scar or um, persistent pain. Mm -hmm. Um, And same with cesarean scars. Um, I'd probably be more likely to use massage and those sort of desensitization techniques. We do dry needling and acupuncture for scar tissue as well. Um, And we use silicon dressings and that that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So I think the biggest takeaway, again, like we're talking about incontinence is it might eventually get better, your perineal pain, but 10% of women, even after 18 months postpartum, are still having perineal pain and sexual pain. Mm-hmm. 18 months is a really long time to be putting up with that. So putting something in place beforehand that can really address those things mm-hmm. um, and definitely some things that can make a huge difference. Yeah, and that's, I think, an important thing to talk mm. about is the sexual pain mm. because, again, I'm guessing that's not normal having yeah, a post-baby. Yeah. Um, and I was just saying to you off-air, I've shared on Australian birth stories before after I had a 3B tear with my firstborn, we had so much pain having, we couldn't mm. have sex mm. for over a year. It yeah. was absolutely agonising and the only thing that got me through it was seeing a physio yeah. really regularly. Um and I actually ended up having to go back into surgery and having the second surgery and mm. recut, which was fun. Yeah. But um, anyway, I won't scar everyone from that story. <laughs> the good news is second baby, I had no tear after a lot of uh, a lot of perineal massage and a lot of physio and yeah. have had no issues, thankfully, since then and with my third as well. But, yeah, the it's really hard on relationships. I mean, oh, obviously yeah. I had a pretty intense case of it as in, there was no way 
when they say it's not fitting in the hole, <laughs> you know, <laughs> something's not right. Um, but I think it's something that's just not talking talked about uh, enough is sexual pain. Absolutely. And yeah, they're like, oh, six weeks, you can go have mm. sex now. And you think like, this doesn't feel at all right. Yeah. And yeah. I would say that it is something that we see women presenting to the clinic delayed, like yeah. well after what we would have loved to see them Mm -hmm. because your body does get into a bit of a pain cycle. If something doesn't feel good, then Mm -hmm. obviously your body's going to be apprehensive about it and you're going to get into that muscle tension zone and everything just kind of snowballs and becomes more and more obvious. Mm -hmm. And I would say 90% of women, as soon as they come in and start talking about it, they'll burst into tears. It's affecting them so dramatically, affecting their relationships, their Mm. self-esteem, all that sort of thing. Mm. Um, And again, there's so many things that we can do. So sexual pain postpartum is generally a combination or one of three things, and it's scar tissue tenderness, the um, effects of hormonal changes and vaginal tissue health, and then pelvic floor muscle tone. Mm -hmm. And all three of those things you can address with a combination, you know, like we're talking about topical creams, massage. Um, We use dilator therapy and pelvic ones for muscle Mm -hmm. release and to try and, you know, let your body accommodate a bit more space. And we Mm -hmm. talk about sexual positioning and different devices you can use with your partner to um, control penetration, Mm -hmm. all that sort of thing. There's so many things that we can do to help rather than waiting until, you know, 18 months, two years down the track. And then all of a sudden it's become this huge block in your life Mm. and I think yeah just talking about it because it's one of those things that's kind of embarrassing to talk about and some women don't have the support network or community around them where they feel comfortable sharing in that way and so they might be just sitting with this like you know literally physical pain but also the emotional pain embarrassment or like just unsure of where to go with that information we'll be back after this short break this episode has been brought to you by Mare Botanicals. I absolutely love this brand and I was lucky enough to use them when I was pregnant with Will and then postpartum and I still find random things left over that I still like to use now. <laughs> <laughs> like the nipple creams in my car for hand moisturizer and it's amazing. But Mare Botanicals is a beautiful brand which has all organic and natural products to support you through your pregnancy and postpartum and beyond. And I'm so excited, Kate, that you get to use them yes, this time. I'm excited too. I have a few things ready to go, like their Clary Sage Roller. I have their birth combs, which I've never used before. Their Labor Aid drink. I've got a whole bunch of things from their um, postpartum support range. So breast and perineal gel packs, um, a perineal wash. There's Honestly, there's everything that you can think of. And they're such beautiful, well thought out, considered beautiful products yeah they are i even saw on their website you can hire the tens machine on yeah. them now too so they honestly have yeah even scrunchies cute toiletry bags yeah. they have everything that one you could ever shop. yeah <laughs> which is always nice when you have to pay shipping when it's a one-stop shop yeah they have given us a code so that you can check it out for yourself which is boob to food for 15% off site-wide and it's valid until the 18th of October. You can visit the website merebotanicals.com.au that's M-E-R-E botanicals.com.au but I'll pop the link in the show notes as well. Now let's get back to today's episode. And it's awkward, the treatment's awkward, like doing dilators and things are... Yeah. Like I found it so awkward to do <laughs> and then like you said, having, you know, you've got to be in a pretty good relationship because... Mm. You've got to really, really talk through every aspect. That's so and true. And you have to have not really very romantic. open communication with your partner yeah. but then also with your therapist. Yeah. And we still see women that we have to start with 
basic anatomy that don't know their Mm. bodies, that don't know what goes where and what they can do. Um, And so if you're just getting to know yourself and your own body, it's really Mm. hard then to communicate that to your partner. Um, One thing that's really interesting about sexual pain is a cesarean section is not protective Mm. for sexual pain. So you see women with um, severe perineal tears and episiotomies are more likely to have sexual pain. But then um, if you have an uncomplicated vaginal delivery, like without instruments, you're just as likely to have sexual pain having a cesarean section. So Mm, I think that's something that really surprises women. They think they're protecting their pelvic floor by having Mm. a C-section and then they end up with this new problem that they've never had before. Mm. So that just shows us it's not just about scar tissue, it's all that secondary stuff that can come with um, pain response and muscle tension and that sort of thing. And that's the same with like urinary incontinence, mm-hmm. hey? It's not just for a vaginal delivery. Yeah, for sure. So yeah. pregnancy itself, just mm-hmm. carrying a baby mm-hmm. is one of the biggest predictors of incontinence. Um, so vaginal delivery a little bit more so than cesarean section, but you're not protecting your pelvic floor by mm-hmm. like there's plenty of good reasons to have a C-section, medical reasons, um, but protecting your pelvic floor is not one of them. Yeah. I mean, when you think think about it you know you've got a let's say a three to four kilo on average Mm -hmm. weight sitting on that pelvic sling for such a long time like it you can understand like if you were to walk around holding a three kilo dumbbell all day like they'd be doing some and that hormonal tissue Mm. shift does happen in the third trimester so Mm. we see um and we want to see women planning Mm. a vaginal delivery that pelvic floor muscle sling drop by about two or three centimeters in the last trimester Mm. and so you can see that lengthening of the tissues you can see it happening during pregnancy um Mm. and so that will take time to recover afterwards even if you have had a cesarean delivery Mm. and Talking about cesareans, with the scar tissue for cesareans, is there anything specific you wish everyone knew to do post-Caesar? Yeah, I think it's very similar to the care we're talking about with um, perineal uh, surgical incisions or tears. So basically leaving it alone as much as possible for the first couple of weeks, avoiding infection and letting the tissue heal. I think scar massage isn't talked about enough. I often see women with um, abdominal separation or um, back pain or hip pain at six, 12 months postpartum. And I say, have you done some scar massage? And they're like, what's that? No one mentioned that. Mm -hmm. So it is super helpful. If you think about all those layers of Um, fat and fascia and skin that usually glide on each other. If we have a scar going through the center of them, they kind of get a bit sticky. And so massage is really helpful for that. Um, And mobilizing early, I know I was talking about resting, but we don't want to be protective. So if you're holding your body, you know, in a really protective position, just even standing upright and doing some gentle stretches, trying to get that scar tissue moving um, and using as much pain relief and support as you need. So I think pain relief in the first 14 days post C-section and having that effectively manage your pain is so important. And so if you've been discharged from hospital and you're really struggling, go see your doctor. There's so many women that will put up with it for four, six weeks post-birth um, and they're in a ridiculous amount of pain. Mm. So, yeah, managing that and trying to mobilise early and then later on starting some scar massage and some stretching exercises can be really helpful. Funny how people just put up with Caesar pain. Mm. Like so many women I look after in the hospital refuse the, the pain relief and... Just, I guess it's kind of that martyr mentality 
but it's mm. major abdominal surgery. Mm, Have you had had any other kind of surgery that wasn't related to giving birth? I'm sure you'd be happy to have the pain relief and recover. Mm. And yeah, but it's just something about that. I don't know that martyr mentality that we've got passed down through generations that you just get up and get on with it. Yeah, yeah. and you do. You mobilize and you recover, and you can care for your baby so much more effectively if you do have that yeah. pain under control. So yeah, yeah, don't. Be a martyr. No, <laughs> in any aspect. Erin, <laughs> um, you mentioned abdominal separation. Can yep. you just explain what is that? What's going on? Um, so that's something that we don't want to be um, worried about during pregnancy. I think there's a big thing about um, pr- trying to prevent abdominal separation, mm. but 100% of women will have abdominal separation during pregnancy. Mm. There is no other way you can accommodate no. a four kilo baby. <laughs> so the six pack muscles in the front of the abdomen stretch and separate, um, but they're still connected by this fascial tissue, this connective tissue. But after pregnancy, we do want to see that kind of come back together and close. Um, so if you're feeling like your tummy is still really protruding, like you feel like you still look three or four months pregnant, um, if you feel like you're getting a real sense of weakness that Mm. you can't switch on your core, that you're getting back pain, if you're noticing bulging down the midline of your tummy, any of those things could be a sign that your abdominal muscles haven't recovered. Mm. Um, and that can be genetics. It can be that you just had a, a stretchier tissue type. It could be that you're really petite and you've accommodated a big baby whatever it is, there's a bit more stretch in the tissues. Mm. And like I was saying before, we can't expect those muscles just to bounce back. It's not fair on Mm. ourselves to expect that. Um, Would they need to be rehabilitated? So we work on, um, yeah, addressing the tone and the activation and postural things to try and get those muscles coming back together a little bit more quickly. I always kind of like laugh at the, you know, the advice when you're um, discharged from whatever Mm. care you have and they're like, don't lift anything heavier than the weight of your newborn. I'm like, did you see my toddler? <laughs> like there's so much that um, I feel, you know, kind of works against you in that time in terms of like, I, I just know from personally, like I feel like I didn't have the core tone to do certain things, but then you kind of can't avoid you have doing to. certain yeah. things. Um, like what length of time would you be expecting to see those muscles come back together in, in say like a typical situation? Yeah, but- Totally agree. It's so unfair that women are given like this huge recovery that they need to go through. They've got toddlers running around. They've got housework and things they Mm. need to keep up on at the time that your body is probably least capable of Mm -hmm. it. Um, So if you've been told in hospital that you've got an abdominal separation, I wouldn't be concerned. Like pretty much everyone in those first few days postpartum will have an abdominal separation. Um, And even at your six-week checkup, we want to see some closure, but there is really commonly still a couple of centimetres of separation. Um, We can actually see with the ultrasound when we do a six-week checkup that a lot of the time women's uteruses are still um, not fully contracted down. So women are complaining about their mum pooch or their tummy or something. And I'm like, hold on, you're like uterus is still mm-hmm. there and still taking up space and you still have an abdominal separation, mm-hmm. just chill out and let your body yeah. heal. Um, but, you know, if by 12 weeks we're still seeing a separation, that's when natural tissue healing will kind of plateau. So mm-hmm. you'll continue seeing results and seeing um, tone return in your abdominal muscles until that 12 weeks. And then after that, if you're having some of those symptoms I was talking about before, that's the time to really jump in and start some rehabilitation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so exercises like 
crunches and um, Pilates style exercises can actually be really beneficial for the healing at that point. I think, Mm. again, women get in this fear cycle. They're worried about making anything worse Mm. and they might have back pain, so they're scared to move. But really moving your body and using those muscles is the best way to get some recovery happening. Mm. Yeah, we talked a lot about the mum pouch in our episode with Key from Fluid Form. I can't remember what, we'll put it in the show notes, Mm. what number it is, but yeah. How it's not something that should be considered normal. It's kind of like the urinary incontinence yeah. thing. It's like yeah. everyone will just have a mum pouch after having a baby. And yeah, do the more children you have make that worse? Because I found I didn't have one with the first two, and then the third came along, and I was like, oh, yeah, thanks, thanks, <laughs> thanks <laughs> for that. So much that can contribute to that. Like we're talking about C-section scars, and if you have really poor scar mobility and the scars kind of puckering in, that can definitely mm. exacerbate the look of your mum pouch or your tummy. Um, abdominal separation could be a little bit worse after consecutive pregnancies, the tissue stretch might just be a little bit softer. So even if you don't have a separation, we often see like the fascia that wraps around your whole abdomen just has a little bit more stretch and give to it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there's a little bit more softness in your tissues. Um, So it's really about whether it bothers you or not. Mm -hmm. It's not a concern for me as a physio if you've got a mum pouch. I'm not worried about your health or your fitness or anything, Mm -hmm. but does it bother you? And if yes, then there are some things you can do to address it. Yeah. And when we say bothers, like, is it, do you mean from an aesthetic point of view or from like a functional? From a self-confidence point Mm -hmm. of view. um, I mean, a true abdominal separation can be linked to back pain and incontinence. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's something that we do want to address if you're having those symptoms. If it's more um, like your tummy just looks a little bit different than it mm. used to, then it's more from an aesthetics point of view yeah. and a body confidence point yeah. of view, which can't be undervalued. Like that's totally. still really important. If that's affecting you, then we can definitely do some things to work on it. Um, but, you know, if you're totally fine with it and you're accepting those changes in your body mm. and you're actually not bothered by it at all, then yeah. you don't have to be going and smashing yourself and trying to address something that's not a concern. Yeah. Yeah. And another question I get asked a lot, I remember in COVID I was doing a lot of running because all we could do. (laughs) And I had had Will, he was a few months old, and I got so many messages like, how can you run? Does it not feel like everything is falling out of you? (laughs) I thought, no, like, but that sounds awful. (laughs) Go get it checked out. (laughs) Is that what a prolapse feels like? Yeah, it can do. So women will often feel like they feel – like something is falling out, they might feel like they're wearing a tampon even though they don't mm-hmm. have a tampon in or something's yep. out of place. Yep. They'll feel like a heaviness or yep. a bulging, especially after exercise or after a run. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's one of the things we check um, when we're talking about the six-week check. So if your pelvic floor muscle is sitting lower and looser inside your pelvis, you basically have a bigger void. Like all women have this space that we need to poo and wee and have a baby. We're not standing over a floor, so to speak, there is a void there. And that void will get bigger postpartum, um, particularly until that pelvic floor muscle lifts. And so that's probably what women are talking about. So they might not necessarily have a prolapse, but they don't have a good support system in place and they're probably at risk of developing some symptoms. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's something that we kind of have this amazing system of checking the height of your pelvic floor, how strong you can contract, what the endurance is like, where your pelvic organs are sitting and say, this is your risk of 
starting to run, jump, skip, maybe start with some Pilates or stationary weights. Or if you really want to do that and that's important for your mental health and you're a runner and that's what makes you feel really good, why not try a pessary to make sure, you know, everything is protected. A pessary is kind of like a sports bra for your pelvic organs. (laughs) It's going to make sure everything stays (laughs) up. So as your pelvic floor is recovering, we're still confident that you're protected and you're looking after your long-term pelvic health. Mm-hmm. So if you're running and you feel like everything's falling out, please mm-hmm. stop running. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that long-term mm-hmm. pelvic health is really important yeah, too, right? Yeah, for sure, like, yes. And I think that's just from what I gathered from these messages was a lot of women just thought that that was normal after having a baby, that mm. that it would feel like things are falling out. And I think a lot of people under the impression that a prolapse only means when you can see yeah, it, like yes. a bulging at, you know, the entrance, but that's not correct, is yeah. it? Yeah, and I think that's something um, a lot of women have never even heard the term prolapse mm. and they have no idea what we're talking about, but um, that's what I mean. 50% of women will have some degree of prolapse after having a, a vaginal delivery, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you'll have symptoms or you'll be able to see something. And so what we want to make sure is if I assess you, your postpartum check and you've got a mild prolapse, that you have everything in place that when you come back at 12 months, it's either better or exactly the same. And there is that risk that will actually become worse and you will end up with something protruding and a more severe degree of prolapse if you are doing repetitive heavy lifting or if you're really constipated Mm. or, you know, lots of risk factors like that can make the pressure on those tissues worse. And so you can go from having something really manageable and something that's not giving you symptoms to having something that can be really, really bothersome. Mm. And so for those who don't know what a prolapse is, can you just explain... what is that? Yeah, so basically you have fascia and ligaments inside your pelvis that hold up your bladder and your bowel and your uterus. And so if they're a little bit soft, a little bit stretchier, they've been under pressure from pregnancy and childbirth, they'll allow your bladder and your bowel and your uterus or one of the three to fall into your vaginal canal. So you mm-hmm. get a little bulge of one of those organs into the vagina. Um, So that's something that could be really subtle. You know, you might just notice something feels a little bit different putting a tampon in or um, sexual positions might feel a little bit different. But then if it progresses to um, a more severe grade, so a grade three or four will be at the entrance of the vagina or beyond. So you can start to see and feel a bulge at the vaginal entrance. Mm. And is it most commonly a bladder prolapse that women get postpartum or is it? It can be any one of the three. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, particularly a cervix prolapse, I feel like women, um, for a cervix prolapse or a uterine prolapse Mm. to be to the entrance of the vagina, that's quite severe. Like Mm. it's dropped seven centimetres to get there. So we need to sort of um, assess for this and know that it's happening and give those tissues time to recover. Mm -hmm. And that's why having that rest period initially and allowing those tissues to get their height back is really, really important. Um, Mm. But we have really good research now to suggest that pessaries can actually help with that healing as well. And I love using pessaries in that first 12 months postpartum and then often women can get rid of them. You know, it's Mm. while those healing periods are happening. It's not a forever solution. Um, But yeah, if you're having subtle symptoms like a heaviness at the end of the day, or if you just feel like things are a bit different, it's much better to have an assessment early and put some preventative things in place. Mm. When you keep saying assessment, like a six-week assessment or Consequent, because I always say the wrong word, subsequent (laughs) assessments. Do you generally mean that you're doing an internal? 
Yeah, if you're comfortable with an internal exam, it is the best way to find out what's going on. Um, And so we always do a really thorough consent form and talk to you about what's going on. We use a gloved um, finger basically to feel what's happening at your pelvic organs and your pelvic floor muscles. Alternatively, you know, people with sexual pain or trauma history or for whatever reason, we do have women that just do not want that assessment and we can use a ultrasound assessment. Um, and so the ultrasound goes either on the bottom of your tummy or on your perineum and we can actually assess for prolapse and that sort of thing with the ultrasound as well. Um, and often we'll use a bit of both. So we use the ultrasound maybe to check your abdominal separation and your pelvic floor activation. It's really good for labor prep as well to see if you can relax your pelvic Mm. floor. Um, But I would say that we get a much better idea of what's happening with the pelvic organs and prolapse assessment by doing a digital uh, exam. Yeah. So do you generally recommend then that women, if they're going to come and see a women's health physio for that six-week check that they've finished their bleeding? Yes, for infection reasons. So yeah, we won't do an internal exam um, if you're still bleeding because Mm -hmm. it's a sign that there's still some healing happening. Your cervix might be potentially open and we don't want to introduce any infection. Um, So really, as soon as your bleeding has finished, but also when you're feeling ready. So if you're resting at home, you're taking it easy, you don't have any symptoms, um, then leaving it a little bit later is absolutely fine. It's more for those women who are like, I feel great, almost the better you feel, you know, Mm -hmm. I want to get back into running, I want to get back into the gym and you're going to rush back into that sort of thing. I would say definitely come and have assessment before you do so. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm taking notes. (laughs) (laughs) You can be our practice dummy. (laughs) Yeah, no, I definitely am realising, I'm like, oh, that's right, I've got to start doing like, actually, can I ask, do you have thoughts on the epino? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so um, the epino isn't necessarily something that every pregnant woman woman needs to use. So it's basically mm. a little balloon that you insert and you pump up, which gives you an internal pelvic floor stretch. Mm. Um, but talking about taking pelvic floor measurements postpartum, we can take those same measurements in the third trimester. Mm. And particularly with first deliveries, if your pelvic floor is still looking like really high tone, really firm, you haven't had that like softening and release, mm. um, which for... of your life is amazing, but it's just not for a vaginal delivery. (laughs) Then some extra assistance for that preparation and stretch can be really helpful. And the Mm. epino is definitely one of the things we'd recommend for those women. Mm. Um, But I think everyone should be doing perineal massage um, because there's such great evidence for it. Like we know that it reduces episiotomy rates, perineal pain, um, Mm. second stage of labor times. So Mm. something that's super simple to add into your birth prep routine and something that really works. Um, And then if you're someone who is high tone, um, then extra things like the epino can be really helpful. I think too with the massage, it, like you were saying earlier, just helps you get familiar a little bit more with your anatomy Mm -hmm. and that feeling of, I mean, obviously it's not going to feel like a head coming out, but it does (laughs) give you that kind of feeling and kind of, you can kind of, I don't know, like get that feel where to push kind of feeling exactly. like you can just yeah. get a bit more familiar with all of that area. A hundred percent. And yeah. that's what the research shows that maybe doesn't help as much as we thought with actually stretching yes. the tissue. Yeah. That's not what it does. It's more about desensitization and familiarization with those sensations yeah. and yeah, where you're feeling it. Mm. 
Um, and that's something I love with the ultrasound, with the birth prep as well, because women can actually see on the screen where they need to push. They mm. can see their pelvic floor opening up the space yeah. for the baby. Um, and a lot of women don't do that instinctively. Yeah. Like I was one of those people that will actually contract your pelvic floor when you're trying to push down. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Going back to the first thing we very <laughs> first talked about, I hope that at some stage every single pregnant woman would have a pelvic physio assessment during pregnancy and then at least one afterwards would be amazing. And just quickly on um, post-birth, do you recommend the like compression garments like just for anyone to use? Do you think that they're helpful? Yeah, I do love them. Like the really good medical grade compression garments are expensive. So mm-hmm. you might be looking at $150 or $200 out of pocket. So if you're someone who has had um, perineal trauma, a C-section, abdominal separation, then definitely they can be really, really helpful. Um, if you've had a more uncomplicated delivery and you're feeling really good, then they're not essential for every single woman. But again, it's one of those access things. If you can, then absolutely. I think they're really, really good. Mm, I can. I didn't use them with any of mine, but um, mm. I'm kind of been looking into them a bit more recently and yeah. I think well I feel like that would just feel really yeah. nice like, yeah. a, like a hug you know how they do the womb wrapping yeah in other cultures yes. just that kind of like hug yeah did you, you did I that did didn't you with the, Bowie no I haven't done any of the belly binding but I did use the um compression shorts after Bowie but she was born at the end of December so it was the middle of summer and my goodness they were so hot <laughs> I was sweaty and like because they're super tight so they're really yeah. hard to put on and off when yeah. you're like you're already sweating because you've just had a baby <laughs> so I I struggled to wear them as much as I probably needed to um because I did find that they provided comfort and like some of that support but I was just too hot. I was just quite comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I wore mine for like two years after birth yeah. um, for mm. sport, like for yeah. touch footy or for going for a run because they do just feel so good. They feel really nice and supportive. Mm. Um, and I was a C-section delivery, had a bit of abdominal separation. So personally I found them really, really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I think that compression, um, we give our prenatal women just some tubey grip, which is like a soft, stretchy bandage. So even something like that, which is really affordable and helpful mm. in those early days can be great for abdominal compression. Mm. And then if you can get your hands on some shorts, which have the perineal support as well, they're really good. Yeah, nice. Oh, I feel like we could chat to you for ages, but thank you <laughs> yeah. for sharing some light on, yeah, all things physio yeah. for pre and post baby. Well, well, I hope everyone got something out of it. I could talk yeah. about pelvic floor all day, but <laughs> yeah, I won't ramble too much. Yeah. Well, we'll put all of your details in the show notes so everyone knows where to find you and get some more information. Awesome. Thanks, Luca. Thanks, Kate. Thanks, Thank you for listening to Boob to Food, the podcast. We hope this episode made you feel inspired, confident, and less overwhelmed in your parenting journey. Head to the show notes for all the resources mentioned on today's episode. And if you loved this podcast, please remember to subscribe, rate, and review. See you next week. Bye.